Tonight we're going to read in Luke's Gospel and in the 19th chapter and the first 10 verses. You'll find that on page 1053 in your church Bibles. And I'm assuming that will, I don't know if it will beam up behind me. It won't beam up behind me, that's fine. So I'm going to read, instead of reading from the NIV, I'm reading from the ESV. Um, You can try and spot the differences. Luke 19, reading from verse 1 very uh, well-known incident in the life and ministry of Jesus as Jesus and Zacchaeus meet. Luke 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down. And received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Amen. May God bless to us this reading from his word tonight. wonder how many here have heard of a man called Ben Parsonage in Glasgow, uh, that other famous city in Scotland. Uh, ben Parsonage was at one time a well-kent figure. He worked on the Clyde, the River Clyde, and on the waterways of the city for over 50 years. And he established an organization known as the Glasgow Humane Society. And over those 50 years, with little regard for his own safety, he is reckoned to have rescued or saved of upwards of about 300 people from drowning. The first line of the book that sums up and speaks about his life, sums up Ben's life. Rescue his business. Rescue his business. And really it's that title that comes to my mind this evening as we turn to look at this famous encounter in Luke 19. Because the theme of rescue is very much at the forefront of this passage. It's an incident that really takes us to the heart of the mission and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we are being reminded that Jesus Christ is above all in the rescue business. Christianity is a rescue religion. And that's what sets it apart from many other faiths 
and religions. Jesus saw himself and understood himself to be on a rescue mission. According to the Bible, Jesus Christ is the one person of whom it can supremely be said, rescue is his business. Indeed, in his own words, spoken at the end of this encounter, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. But what does it mean to say that Christianity is a rescue religion? What does it mean to say that Jesus is in the rescue business? Lots of people today are very uncomfortable with that kind of notion. Any idea of people standing in need of a rescue really goes against the grain. That's surely going a bit too far. Yet it is the clear implication of these verses before us. Because in this memorable incident, we are told three key things about the rescue mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first is this, is that it is a rescue mission that is directed towards the lost. It's a rescue mission directed towards the lost. The Son of Man, verse 10, came to seek and save what was lost. But who are the lost? Who are these people that Jesus says he came into the world to rescue? Well, like so much of Jesus' teaching, we find that the origin of his language, his terminology, is to be found in our Old Testaments. The theme of being lost is most notable in the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They were prophets during the time of the exile, when many Jews were taken into captivity in Babylon. And we find them referring to the people as lost sheep. Jeremiah says, my people have been lost sheep. They wandered over mountain and hill and forgot their own resting place. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God says, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I'll bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And it's that kind of prophetic word that stands behind the ministry and the mission of Jesus. Jesus understood himself to be the good shepherd, seeking out the lost sheep. Indeed, just a few chapters uh, earlier on in Luke's gospel, Jesus describes and defends his ministry in just those terms. Luke 15, he tells that famous trilogy of parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost sons. What do we mean when we say that something is lost? Well, in very simple terms, we might say that something is lost when it isn't where it should be. We are lost when we are not where we should be on the map. Our car keys are lost when they're not where we thought we'd left them. At the time of the exile, the Jews were lost because they were not where they should have been in relationship to God. And those famous parables of Jesus, the sheep and the coin were lost because they were not where they should have been. In the parable of the prodigal sons, those two brothers were not where they should have been in relationship to their father. And in Luke 19, we are introduced to Zacchaeus. Here was a man who was truly lost. Man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, verse 2. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Two very important things about Zacchaeus. First, he was a chief tax collector. Many was one of the most despised members of the community. He was the lowest of the low. 
In Jesus' day, the taxman was a treacherous collaborator with the Roman oppressors. He was someone who got rich at the expense of his fellow countrymen. He was a crook. He was someone who was cursed and spat upon in the streets. He was vilified. They were held in utter contempt. No wonder we find him hiding up a tree. You don't want to be mingling with the crowd with that kind of reputation. He was someone who made money, who made a profit on the backs of other people's misery. He was a social pariah. He was not the kind of person you would ever be associated with. When Jesus goes to his house, we're told in verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus was a despised and rejected outcast. He was so morally disgusting and repugnant that no respectable person would really have anything to do with him at all. But not only that, not only was he a tax collector, certainly he was wealthy. He wasn't just nasty, he was rich and nasty. And it wasn't just that his wealth was accumulated on the backs of others. It was that he was a man who was given over in his heart to the pursuit of wealth. He was a lover of money. And there's a very clear contrast being drawn here by Luke between Zacchaeus and the rich ruler whom we meet just a few verses earlier in chapter 18. Now, you remember the rich ruler, what Jesus said after that encounter? How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the people ask, who then can be saved? Jesus says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And yet the startling thing here is that while the rich ruler goes away sad and dejected, clinging on to his wealth and his possessions, Zacchaeus is transformed and changed into a generous man who joyfully and cheerfully gives away his wealth. What on earth is going on here? Somebody, the rich ruler, very good person, very moral person, very religious person, goes away from Jesus sad, the bad person, the wicked person, the nobody, the irreligious person is full of joy and praise and generosity. It's it's incredible. It's startling, really. And the Gospels tells tells us that Jesus spent so much of his time, so much of his energy dealing with people who were the lawbreakers, the the moral failures in the community. Prostitutes, tax collectors, outcasts, lepers, they seemed to be the regular society of his life. They were the people for whom he had the most time. While those who cloaked themselves in their religion and their moralism, the so-called good people, were those that he reserved his harshest and strongest comments for. And that's something that's very unique and special to the ministry of Jesus. That famous story that Jesus told about the two brothers. One, a rebel who tells his father, you know, you know, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can't wait till you die to get the money coming to me. So let me have the money now. I can't wait to spend it while I'm still young. I want to do my own thing. I want to go my own way. Give me the money. Drop dead. An outrageous request. Insulting in the extreme, even in our culture. Let alone in the culture, the traditional culture of Jesus' day. 
And yet it's this boy who, before the end of the story, has wasted all his money and wine, women, and song, who's welcomed back into his father's arms. His father says, the son of mine was dead. Now he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And the other son, the good son, the faithful son, stays at home. He's left standing outside bitter and angry. He is joyless and unforgiving and judgmental. And yet in his self-righteous pride, he is more lost than his brother ever was in the far country. You see, Jesus' rescue mission isn't, in a sense, for the good people. The strong, the wise, the powerful, the proud. Jesus is for the helpless and the weak and the broken. It's for those who realize that they are not good enough and they will never be good enough for God. It's for moral failures. Now, that's quite offensive to many people today. I tell you, it's offensive to many religious people. People don't like to hear that. But the rescue mission of Jesus Christ puts every single one of us in the same category. We are all before God needy sinners. We are all lost. I thought it was mine there for a moment. I got about one of it. For some people, that's a scandal. I remember when I was a young minister preaching a sermon. At the end, uh, in, in, a, in my former congregation, and a woman coming out, very irate, very angry, that I had dared to suggest that she was a sinner. Oh, she really gave it to me. And that's not uncommon. I played golf with someone a wee while ago who we got into conversation at the exact same thing. Who are these sinners? It's not me. You mean to say that I, a respectable person in the community, churchgoer, a faithful husband, a good parent, am in the same place as the prostitute selling her body on the streets? You mean to say that I, an honest, upright, religious person, am in the same boat as the man who peddles drugs to youngsters? In a word, yes. That is exactly what the Bible tells us. Paul says in Romans 3, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. There is no difference. And all through Luke's gospel, Jesus indicates the welcome that heaven reserves for people who make a mess of their lives. I'm often struck by the way in which so many religions and so many versions of Christianity as well offer a kind of ladder up to God. They say, well, keep these rules and follow this discipline and be good and you'll find your way to God. And so much religion, ancient and modern, is simply a kind of moralism. But Jesus comes and he blows that kind of thinking apart. He draws near to those in need, to those who realize they can't make it on their own, to the broken, the hurting, the lost. He comes and he throws a ladder down from God to the spiritually desperate. I've come to seek and rescue lost people. 
I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus' mission is directed towards the lost. And the Bible tells that we're all lost. We're not all where we should be in relation to God. Some are like Zacchaeus, lost rebels and prodigals in the far country. And others are like the rich ruler and the elder brother, lost in all their goodness and their religion. Apart from Jesus Christ, no matter who you are, no matter how religious you are, apart from Jesus Christ, you are lost to God. Some people find it very hard to admit that they're lost. Uh, I know if I'm driving in the car with my family, quite often we have this conversation. Dad, do you, know, you really know where we are? Yes, I know exactly where we are, I think. Pride is a terrible thing. But the first thing we have to do is to admit that we're lost. I'm not where I should be. And if you can't admit it, then I have good news for you. And that good news is this, that Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. It's a rescue mission directed towards the lost. But secondly, here it's a rescue mission, you'll notice, in which God takes the initiative. And on the surface of it, this passage appears to be about a man seeking Jesus. But actually, on closer inspection, you discover that the reverse is true. The initiative here lies with Jesus. Wait a minute, you say, well, wait a minute. Didn't Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? Didn't he run ahead of the crowd? Didn't he climb up a sycamore fig tree to get a better look? And yes, all that is true. Verse 3 tells us as much. But when we look a little closer at the story, we discover that this story is not so much about a man called Zacchaeus seeking after Jesus as it is about Jesus seeking a man called Zacchaeus. It's Jesus who seeks and finds, not Zacchaeus. It's Jesus who calls, not Zacchaeus. It's Jesus who invites himself to the house, not Zacchaeus. And the punchline highlights the very point. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. We don't rescue ourselves. By nature, we do not seek after God. In Christ, God seeks after us. God is not the one who is lost. We are. In my experience, the car keys don't find themselves. In my experience, the golf ball doesn't find itself. I wish it did. I do remember a story, somebody telling me about uh, two men out playing golf and uh, one of them hit a terrible shot into the thick rough. And the fellow said, turned to him and said, oh, you'll have lost that ball. He said, no, 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 it's not fine. Walked up, got closer to the ball and the ball started jumping up and down and going, zoot, 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 zoot. Fine, played another shot. Next hole did the exact same thing in a terrible place. You lose the ball. No, no, got up to the ball. He said, that's an amazing golf ball. He said, where do you find it? Where do you get it? He said, I found it. <laughs> Somebody has to find the thing that's lost. The three parables in Luke 15. It's the shepherd who you know, goes out looking for the sheep. It's the woman who goes out looking for the coin. 
And even in the parable of the prodigals, it's the father who does in fact go out to both sons. Romans 3, 10 to 11, Paul says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Human beings, we're lost. We're unable to find our way back to God. But Jesus Christ has come to seek and save the lost. We can't find him, but his grace can find us. The gospel isn't good advice telling us all to pull up our socks and do a bit better. The gospel is Jesus Christ breaking into the lives of men and women. The gospel is Jesus Christ calling us by name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. The gospel is Jesus Christ calling your name. I must stay at your house today. But why? Why has Jesus come to seek us out and to find us and to rescue us? Why do you search for anything? You're walking down the street, you pull out your hanky out of your pocket. And uh, a 1P flips out, falls down a stank, down a drain, into the gutter. As you look down, you see it down there, protruding from the, kind of all the gunge and the mess that's gathered there. What do you do? Do you get down on your hands and your knees in the muck? And do you try as hard as you can to get right down in there and try and pick it out, that 1P, just get it, must get it out? Or you just say, well, just leave it. It's a 1P. Why search for anything? Only if it's valuable. Only if it's worth something to you. Jesus says, I'm searching. I'm on a rescue mission for something valuable to my Father and I. The gospel tells us of a God who so values and loves us that he has stooped down on his hands and knees. He's humbled himself. He's got himself dirty that we might be found. That is an astonishing message. The gospel tells us that in some unfathomable way, we are valued, that we are loved, and that we are dear to the heart of God. You know, we live in a world where so many people feel worthless and of no value. You know, perhaps Zacchaeus felt like that. I, I suspect that he did. Despite all his money and possessions, he was a man who was utterly empty inside. He felt utterly worthless. Perhaps there are people there, people here tonight, and that's exactly how you feel. Maybe you've been reading the, uh, listening to the scientists and the intellectuals of our age who tell us that we're simply the products of chemical, biological, evolutionary chance. We're utterly insignificant. We've come from nowhere. We're going nowhere. You're simply a blob of matter. You're a pile of chemicals. You're no more important than a rock. What an unbearable perspective that must be. And yet if you read Dawkins and Hitchens and the rest of them, that's exactly their perspective. That's exactly what they're saying. You're no more important than a, than a rock. Maybe your life has gone wrong. 
Maybe things have taken a turn for the worse. There are family problems or financial problems and you're finding it difficult to cope. You feel worthless. Maybe you've been through the breakdown of a relationship. It's left you feeling alone, empty, unloved. You're no good that you're a waste of space. Perhaps you're someone who's always been told that since you were a child, since you were young. That you will never amount to anything. You're no more than a dirty one pea stuck in a filthy drain. And who wants that? Who's going to get their hands dirty for you? Let me tell you that Jesus Christ did. He got his hands dirty. He got his heart dirty. He got his whole self dirty. He came into this world for lost, dirty one peas like you and I. He got dirty, he got messed up just to rescue us. From the squalor of his stable at his birth to the shame of a criminal's death, Jesus Christ was plunged into all the filth and dirt of this world. And where was Jesus going after Jericho? He was going to Jerusalem and to the cross. And on the cross he was going to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. For on that rough wooden cross, Jesus took all that makes us feel worthless. All our sin and guilt and shame. All the condemnation that is rightly ours. He covered himself in our filth. That we might be pulled to safety and be made children of God. The cross, God says to us, I value you, I treasure you, I love you. I shed my blood for you. You're special to me. You're my son. You're my daughter. You are a somebody. That's what happened to Zacchaeus when Jesus Christ came into his life. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham and an heir of eternal life. I wonder if we know that this evening. I wonder if you know that, that you are loved by God. The gospel tells us that we have a God who values us and treasures us. And we come to know and experience that love when, like Zacchaeus, we welcome Jesus Christ into our lives. It says in verse 6, He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. It's a rescue mission directed towards the lost. It's a rescue mission in which God takes the initiative. And thirdly here, it's a rescue mission that changes lives. God's grace comes to us where we are, but it never leaves us there. It pulls us up out of the mud and mire and gives us a firm place to stand. It puts a new song in our mouths, even a hymn of praise to our God. And that's what happened to Zacchaeus. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up, said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I, I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Well, what's going on here? Suddenly those things that, so, that had so gripped and dominated Zacchaeus' life, he's now willing and able to let go cheerfully and gladly. 
as giving to the poor and to those he had cheated is extravagant. It actually goes way beyond what the law demanded. Those things, you see, meant that he was giving up control of his own life. He gives it up. Suddenly he wants to please Jesus. He wants to help others. He becomes generous. The presence of Jesus Christ brings transformation. And the idols of his heart are laid aside. Their power is broken. Their hold is broken by the power of Christ's love and Christ's grace. And notice that this is not a condition of Zacchaeus entering the kingdom. It is a result of Zacchaeus entering the kingdom. It's not as if Zacchaeus had to become generous before Christ would have anything to do with him. <laughs> well, you know, Zacchaeus, you better clean up your life a little bit and then maybe, you, maybe they'll come to your house then. His generosity is not a work that qualified him for acceptance with God. It was the fruit of Jesus' presence in his life. That's really important to understand. Because I hear lots of people say things like, oh, I, I could never become a Christian. I could never keep it going. You know, I could never do all those things that Christians do. I could never give up this. I could never give up that. I could never, never ever be good enough. And in a sense, you're absolutely right. But what is impossible with men is possible with God. Christianity is about Jesus Christ coming into your life. You know, without him, it is impossible. Without the presence of Christ, this kind of deep change, significant change that we see in Zacchaeus' life, it is impossible at all. It can't happen. This generosity that Zacchaeus showed way beyond what the Lord required was the product of a changed heart, a changed affection. He was no longer loving himself, seeking his own, pursuing his own glory. He loved Jesus. And that is the power of grace. Because when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, he makes us new people. He gives us a new heart. He gives what uh, Thomas Chalmers once called the expulsive power of a new affection. And friends, we cannot renovate our own lives. We haven't the power, we haven't the motivation. Try it. You're doomed to failure. And if you're living a Christian life thinking that's what it's all about, trying harder in your own strength, it will fail drastically. You may be able to fool lots of other people around you, but it will never last. If Jesus Christ isn't in your life, then your Christianity, such as it is, is going to be joyless, it will be superficial, it will be unforgiving, it will be judgmental, it will be insecure, it will be self-righteous. Zacchaeus did not give away his money to the poor to make himself right with God or to make his life acceptable to him. He gave away his money because he knew that God in Christ had already accepted him, had already lavished his love upon him. And 
only the presence of Jesus Christ in your life can make doing the right thing a joy and a delight and not a burden or a means to an end. So I need to ask you, is Jesus Christ in your life? Has he lifted you up out of the mud and the mire? Do you know God's love, not as some kind of vague, abstract idea, but as actually as a living power in your life? Are you a child of God? Are you valued? What are you worth? I don't mean financially. Sometimes said that there have always been two kinds of religion in this world. Religions that seek to do God a favor and religion, a religion that seeks the favor of God. Religions of works and a religion of grace. Religions in which men and women seek after God and a religion in which God seeks after men and women. Religions that are all, when it comes down to it, are all about self-help, doing your best, being nice. And a religion that's all about a rescue. Which one is yours? In Christianity, God runs out to meet us and embrace us. He comes to seek us out, to find us, and to rescue us. To lavish his extravagant love upon us. Salvation is not a matter of self-effort. Not ten, not five, not even one percent. It is from beginning to end a matter of grace. And we don't find God's grace. God's grace finds us. Just as it finds Zacchaeus in a sycamore fig tree. Has it found you? Has Jesus found you? The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Rescue is his business. Can you hear his voice this evening? He's calling your name. And he is saying, I must stay at your house today. Be like Zacchaeus. Welcome him gladly. Rescue is his business. Has he done business with you? Have you done business with him? And if he has, then let me ask you this. Then are you about the master's business. Vance uh, Havner tells the story of two boats passing each other on the Mississippi River. An old uh, black man said to a white passenger as he pointed to the other boat that was passing, pointed over, he said, look, yonder's the captain. And when asked for an explanation, he said, well, years ago, he said, we were going along just like this and I fell overboard and the captain rescued me. And since that day, I just loves to point him out. If you're a Christian tonight, are you pointing others out to the master? To Jesus Christ who's in the rescue business. Let's pray.